Hey guys, it's Scott from fxmissions.com. Just a note, I've finished the trilogy of anthologies from the forefront, and all three books are currently available on Amazon. Welcome to From the Forefront, an FX Missions podcast. Stories about courageous souls who felt the call of missions and obeyed. Hi, Scott McClelland here with your FX Missions from the Forefront podcast. Thanks for joining us. Please do rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your content. And uh, also tell someone about us if you're interested in missions and ministry from the front lines. We're pretty excited today to be rejoined by Mike and Stacy Collins. Hi, guys. Hello. Hey. Hey, nice to have you all. Last time we talked on the podcast, you guys were getting ready to make your journey to uh, Tanzania, Arusha, Tanzania. Am I, am I right? That's correct. That's where we're sitting right now. <laughs> well, thank God for you guys overcoming the uh, what I can imagine were some obstacles on the lead up there. You've been in country a little while now, so I guess some months now. Is that is that correct? Yeah, we got uh, to Tanzania uh, about the third week of February, so we've been here about three months now. Wow, time sure is flying. It's going quick, quicker than we had imagined. So, Wow. Well, I really appreciate you guys rejoining uh, me here on the podcast, and we'll hope for a good signal along the way. It's great. I guess this technology can put us kind of in the same room, even though we're, we're not. But uh, it's great to have you guys back. And just a few things to cover here. want to make sure and get a good update from you guys, and also try to give a feel for what you're experiencing there on the field. Maybe some questions and follow up from our previous conversation. Thanks again for being here. Oh, we're, we're glad that you gave us this opportunity. And we're really pleased that the, uh, the internet is uh, turning out pretty well. So we're able to do this. <laughs> yeah. Well, hopefully we won't hit any potholes in the road, but if we do, we'll try to keep moving nonetheless. One question that comes to mind for me and I guess I'm kind of a visual person. I just imagine you there sitting under the shadow of uh, Kilimanjaro. Uh, I think it's pretty close to you guys. Do I have that right? Yeah, that's pretty accurate. Uh, it's, it's about an hour and a half to Mount Kilimanjaro. We're actually at the base, on the base of Mount Meru. So they're sort of sister mountains. Obviously, Mount Kilimanjaro is is much taller, close to right at 20,000 foot tall. But Mount Meru mm. is a pretty significant mountain in and of itself as well. And pretty it affects the uh, climate around here pretty well. So we're, even though we're only 200 miles below the equator, the temperatures vary somewhere from about 60 to about 85. It may get up to 90 if it gets real warm, but we're a lot cooler here because of the elevation than a lot of other places in Tanzania. Wow. That temperate climate like that is so enjoyable. And I know you guys probably don't have a lot of summer and winter other than the fact that you have a rainy season and a dry season. Do I, Is that correct? 
Yeah, it's uh, that's pretty much correct. You know, the days stay the same length year round. It's always dark about 6.30 and daylight about 6.30. So the, the nights and the days are about the equal distance apart. But it's a lot colder than I had imagined. We've gotten down into the 50s in some mornings. And so I wasn't, you know, really expecting to be that cool in a place like this. And, and our windows are open 100% of the time because we have no air conditioning and no heating. And so quite a lot, you have to have some kind of a, sweatshirts or coats or something on because you never are in a place that's warm so you get chilled and it's hard to stay warm when it's cold like that right right yeah well i as i understand it your blood your blood changes depending on some of the climate factors that you get into and you adjust to the temperatures in a way that you know you wouldn't expect like people from cold weather climates go i know i've got some friends that are in Central Mexico, they, they're they from Minnesota or Wisconsin or whatever, used to very cold climates, but they're down there a couple of years and they can't stay warm. It's I think it's uh, some changes with your body that affect that. So I can imagine what you're saying. Yeah, it's uh, I didn't think that was going to happen, but uh, we've been experiencing some of that. Yeah, yeah. Well, can you see Kilimanjaro where you are? Sometimes in uh, Arusha, you can see Mount Kilimanjaro depending on where you're at and then also to the clarity of the day. So Hmm. Kilimanjaro stays cloudy a lot of the time. So even on clear days here, still the the mountain itself will be shrouded in clouds. Mm, Okay. Okay. I got to say... Kilimanjaro is on my list. I've climbed a few mountains uh, in my in my time, uh, or I, I guess maybe I've attempted to climb some mountains. Only only got through a few of them, but uh, definitely Kilimanjaro is on my list. And maybe I can stop over and see you guys while I'm acclimatizing and spend some time with you. I'd look forward to that. Well, that would that would work out really well. And the uh, Kilimanjaro Airport is right in the middle between Arusha and Moshi, and Moshi is where Kilimanjaro is located. Like I say, we're only an hour and a half apart, so we're right in the neighborhood. Wow, that's awesome. Well, very cool, very cool. I'll have to suspend my dreams of Kilimanjaro here for a moment so we can keep moving, but it's just, uh, it's on my mind there. Are you guys thinking, uh, before I completely move on, are you guys thinking about climbing Kili? I don't know if we could make it all the way to the top, but we'll definitely want to go over there and do some of the trails and just see how far we can get. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's the only mountain here I am saying I'm moving on and I can't get off of it, but it's the only mountain that you can climb at that height that requires no technical expertise or no technical equipment. You basically walk. Yeah, of course, it's uh, there's a grade there, but uh, you walk all the way to the top, which to me is inviting because some of the mountains I've attempted and some I've been on are somewhat technical, but a lot not nearly as tall as Kilimanjaro. So that to me is like perfect recipe. I guess it would be as long as it's in my mind and I'm not on the slopes out there trying to make it to the top, right? Right. <laughs> We know, we know several people, uh, even within the place that we live, that have been over hiking on Kilimanjaro, and we have some friends that uh, have even walked and made it to the top. So 
like I say, it's a, awesome. a, a mountains that height is probably one of the easier ones to climb. Right. And anything over 20,000 feet, I mean, you gotta, you gotta just think, wow, that's awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm totally interested. That's for sure. Yeah. I saw, um, I saw a chart that showed that it was, uh, Kilimanjaro was the sixth highest mountain in the world. Wow. Wow. Yep. It's, it definitely is famous, but you guys didn't go over there to climb Killy. I know you're, you're on more important, uh, and less trivial business. You guys obviously are there. You're working in ministry. You're, you're working there with the, with the national organization. If I remember right, what are you guys doing now in terms of ministry? I know there's been some speaking. You've been doing some traveling. There's been some, a conference attendance. What kind of things have you guys been up to? Yes, for the most part, um, we've been speaking in our local churches here. But as you mentioned, we've been attending the board meetings. One of the big things that we've been tasked to do is to help the National Church of Foursquare, Tanzania, revise their constitution. So most of our meetings have been about that. And also just today, Mike and I were going through it again in preparation for a meeting that we will drive to next week. So next week will be the first big cross-country trip that Mike will be driving and we'll be meeting with the board for three days to revise their constitution and to make some key decisions, to do some training for pastors, and then also make some plans for future children's ministry training. Then also with that, uh, mostly when we first got here, it was concentrated on language study. So for me, it was a refresher in Kiswahili. And for Mike, it was a three-week intensive on his first learning experience in Kiswahili. So there's a lot of learning. Um, there was also a lot of setup on the house. When we first got here, we're renting a home. And the home is in a great location, but it only had minimal furniture and min minimal amenities. So we had to go several weeks without dishes and that we tried to just find you know a few things to get by with. We didn't have wow. a refrigerator or, you know, washing machine, anything like that. So setting up the house, it takes a little bit of time. You have to go and search through town for the things that you're looking for. And then once you find them, try to figure out how much they should cost and make some negotiations and then arrange for the items to be delivered to your home. So it's, it's not an easy thing to set up a household and even getting dishes and silverware and pots and pans. If you purchase them here, it could be quite expensive. So we brought just a few things with us to get started. And then we've just mm -hmm. been accumulating things here and there. So a lot of setup for the home and then local ministry. And then also we had the opportunity to go to Rwanda and to work with our national leader there because they had a big building project. And I'm going to turn that over to Mike to explain some of the things he's been involved with. Absolutely. that That's super cool. You know, we need to make sure and not forget the practical, right? I mean, you've got to live wherever you're living. Getting set up is a big part of it. it. Shouldn't be overlooked or minimized. Of course, it sometimes feels like it's a it's sort of a necessity you wish you could do less of, but it's certainly super important. I noticed uh, a little bit of that. I think I saw some of your updates. You guys were talking about. Rwanda, and you've got a background in projects and things of this nature, Mike. What what'd you guys do in Rwanda? Well, that's exactly right. In fact, uh, Stacy and I uh, retired at the end of December 
and then we came to Tanzania to be missionaries. And so I'm actually trained as an engineer. So doing projects and engineering type stuff is my background. And so one of the things that we have discovered since we've gotten to Tanzania is that a lot of the conditions and government regulations are in a state of flux for all the countries in East Africa. And Rwanda Mm. seems to be at the forefront of some of those changing regulations. And a lot of it has to do with increasing building standards and credentials for pastors and those kind of things, which are all good things. But there's a lot of growing pains on getting from one level to another level. So, for example, Mm. in Rwanda, it's already been published in the media that because they've established new building standards for churches, they've closed 8,000 churches in Rwanda. And so, wow, yeah, so it's a, it's a huge impact. And so this particular opportunity was to go over to the National Foursquare Leaders Church in Rwanda, which they have a big church that has about 1,500 attendants on Sundays, but they're even getting a lot of uh, pressure and having to do projects to bring their church up to standard. So they asked me to come over and take a look at the project, make some recommendations, meet with the engineering folks, that kind of stuff, and just take a look at that project and coordinate between the American Foursquare Church and the Rwandan Foursquare Church. So uh, right, right. we've had a couple of other opportunities as well, because the place that we live at, the very night that we came back from our trip to Rwanda, it was a terrible stormy night and we got into the house. Well, the very next morning they had a bridge. It was a driving a bridge across the river that connected the compound where we live or where the school is across the, across the river. And that bridge got washed out. And so it was, it was a pretty big deal because people, it made them so much more difficult for the kids to get back and forth and just other people who lived on opposite sides of the river. And it turned out the place where we found to live here in the compound had some trusses and other stuff that had been sitting around for about 12 or 15 years. And we were at least able to get a pedestrian bridge reconstructed across the river within about a week and had it checked out and calculated to make sure it was safe and all that. And so we were able to get the bridge put back in place so that folks could get back and forth and get back to a normal lifestyle pretty much. Right. Well, I am not an engineer. You know, I, I have no no engineering background of any kind. My, my dad was a contractor and a carpenter. So I did some building with him growing up. And, you know, I'm familiar with the sort of rudimentary construction principles and things like that. I remember one of the biggest surprises that I, I ever got was actually in East Africa. We were in a school in, a, in the slum in one of the, I guess the biggest, second biggest slum in the world, maybe the biggest one in in East Africa, Kibera, right there in Nairobi. We were on the second floor of a school building and that floor, you you heard the term live floor? (laughs) (laughs) It was a live floor. And I I kept, you know, losing my breath and trying to get close to to the outside walls. And I was just... (laughs) One of the things that really gripped me, I just felt like these children are in peril uh, here at all times because this thing is getting ready to fall. You know, and of course, probably that wasn't exactly accurate, but compared to what I was used to, it was very real. 
What have you noticed uh, when it comes to, and you know, I'm trying to be, I'm not too technical on this front, but I, I'm trying to be nice at the same time. What have you noticed about construction, you know, standards or engineering type stuff? To me, a lot of what I've observed in the third world has just been throw it up there till it falls down and then uh, we'll build it again. Hope nobody gets squashed. I mean, that's obviously not a very technical rendering of what I'm thinking, but what have you found? And I think that the representation you just made has been the case for a lot of years. And that's exactly what they're trying to address with these building standards that are being increased. So mm-hmm. what we're seeing for like the churches in East Africa, are they requiring soundproofing and, and maintaining uh, required parking levels and things like that? So it's really beginning to change. And so in Rwanda, for example, they have a Rwanda development board that comes around and reviews all these facilities and they list things that you have to do to come up to standard. So the days of just putting something up and, hey, this is good enough, is really starting to come to an end. But one of the big things that you know I've noticed is people in the U.S. get really dependent on a lot of equipment and there's just not a lot mm. of equipment to help out. So, like, for example, that bridge it washed out is still stuck in the river just downstream of where it had sat. And they want to, they need to get it out of the river and they need to salvage the metal off of it. Well, that's all going to have to be done by hand. You know, there's not a piece of equipment that you can drive up there with a crane and pick it up, pull it over. That's all going to be human power to be able to figure out how to do all of that. So uh, wow. another example is a, a guy here is building a house. And so, they had a, a foundation slab that they put in there, and that was un, all done with a gasoline power, you know, just one of those rollover kind of mixers. And you had a line of people, one would throw in the water, the other throw in the rocks, the other throw in the sand, the other throw in the cement. It gets mixed up. They dump it out. Two guys shovel it into a wheelbarrow, and then they had the wheelbarrow guys pushing it across the slab and dumping it where it needed to go. So it took probably – 20 people to keep this operation going so that it was a smooth, ongoing operation. And it was a lot of work. I was thinking, boy, I'm glad I'm not one of those folks having to handle that concrete. There's nothing fun about concrete. (laughs) You know, it's heavy and sticky and messy and a bog almost until it dries for sure. That's interesting. And I would think that especially in your background or both you guys' background in the, uh, the, plant environments where, you know, the main thing is keeping the plant going or getting it back online. You know, there's a lot of money and equipment and technology that's thrown at that revenue stream, you know, to make sure it, uh, it goes uninterrupted. So I could see how that contrast would be huge between what you guys, you know, worked in there before you retired into the more rural environment there. And, you know, like where there's, there's no crane coming for that bridge (laughs) yeah there's no crane there's no concrete truck there's no concrete uh, pumper Uh, so it's pretty much (laughs) you got to figure out a different way to do it and be more creative on how you handle things man i'm saying i've done some of that i mean the first time i visited east africa we protected a spring you know did it was a water project and so i got uh you know a small taste of what you're talking about in uh, Kenya, at the Tanzanian border up close to Lake Victoria, we were working a project. So we were way out from the city and, you know, way out from anything in terms of industrialized 
really, that was a stark contrast to me as well. So what are you guys doing or what do you foresee coming online that you didn't anticipate before you win? I'm just trying to give a, a feeling for the contrast. Obviously, you know things a lot better once you get into them than you do before and you try to prepare and get ready. And, and that, that's important preparation for sure. But what are you guys seeing now that you would have liked to have had the opportunity to prepare for before instead of now? Is that, is that a good question? Uh, I think one of the things that we really were expecting was we thought that the Foursquare Church was a little bit more well-established and that, you know, it would be a lot easier to come in and set up trainings and also being able to do board meetings and so forth. But the folks that we are working with are mostly in rural areas, and there's just a few pastors that are in urban areas. And even in the urban area, it's a little bit difficult to get things moving. So there's a lot more red tape regulations and just a slower pace of getting things established. So with that, um, we're just having to, to step back and we're having to really be strategic about our time and what we're doing to make the most of it. And even one of the big things we wanted to do was to bring in a printing system so that we could begin to print off the materials for the pastor's training and children's training and so forth. And that itself mm -hmm. is, is become a task also. So we're still working on even just getting the approval on this side to be able to ship from the U.S. And then that'll take another probably month or two to get that cleared through customs here. But once we do that, then we can start translating and producing some training materials, which then enables us to go out and do some training. So there's a lot of things that you have to kind of do one step at a time. You can't just come in and hit the ground running like you want to. And you would think, mm -hmm. you know, maybe even if you had the resources, you could organize the trainings. But you have to think about the pastors that are out in rural areas that may not even be able to afford the bus ticket into a location where you could do the training. Mm. And then you have right. to secure a facility to do the training and lodging for all those folks and food. So the logistics of being able to do things you would think would be easier because, hey, let's just, you know, throw it together and do it and people will show up. But it really doesn't work that way. So the logistics of getting people coordinated and getting materials to where they need to be and pastors to the places they need to be to get trained, um, that's become more of a challenge than we really thought in the beginning. So that's one of the things that we're fo focusing on. Yeah, to, give you, <laughs> to give you an example, we're working with a national board, but because of travel issues, logistics, and that kind of stuff, it's difficult to even get the board together more than twice or three times a year. And you can't make mm. a lot of progress if you can get, can't get together more than that. And so, you know, what we've tried to look at is their IT type solutions, but I think that most everybody, there may be only one or two board members that even have anything other than just a regular cell phone, nothing like a smartphone or anything like that. Right. You know, if you could have wow. a smartphone, you could contact via the internet or whatever and be able to have virtual meetings. But how do you do that with a uh, just a regular cell phone? So we're looking right. at those yeah. kind of things to see if we can't increase some efficiency there. I think that's something that we don't foresee. And thank you guys for mentioning that because I, I we get used to our own context where we are and, and then we don't 
anticipate the void that we're going to step into, you know. We think about it like it's going to be a little bit less than where we are, maybe quite a bit less. But in some cases, you're it's a void. There's nothing there. And you're working around <laughs> that, you know, trying to create something to fill the void. I totally can see where that would be a challenge. And you also have the pace of life and and what life looks like to people in different places in the world that in terms of what is in the realm of possibility, a lot of times is is limited by what we've experienced, you know? So if our experiences have been really narrow or, or of a certain kind, there's a whole realm of possibility that's not even visible to us. I hope I'm making sense. Right. And then too, like you mentioned, you have to take the culture into consideration. And so some of the proverbs in Swahili could probably give a little bit of a light here. One of the proverbs is haraka haraka haina baraka, which is hurry, hurry has no blessing. And then you have haba na haba hujaza kibaba, little by little we fill up the cup. So it's a culture of not a fast pace and just making progress as you can. Many times you'll see homes, even in the cities, not just rural locations, that are halfway built or a fourth of the way built. And that's because people might not have the money to get the cement bricks. As they get the finances, they get a few bricks, they put up a few more lines on their wall. And little by little, they build that house over maybe 10, 12, 15 20 years. And that's just the pace that people are used to working at. So you have to take mm. those things also into consideration when you're dealing with other cultures. Wow. Very true. And I could tell that your Kiswahili accent sounds pretty good, Stacy. I got to say that. <laughs> I have a Kiswahili vocabulary. It's a, like three words, Jambo, Mzuri, Ibari. <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> and then we can add sana, right? Jambo sana. We can add sana for the uh, for the adjective, uh, but <laughs> very, very hello, you know. I'm, uh, we did a three week intensive, and I think that helped her quite a bit. But uh, for me, a three week a three week intensive was just the beginning. So I'm spending probably three or four hours, five hours a day going through a book and uh, learning, a, you know, vocabulary words and and uh, working chapter by chapter and doing the homework problems in the book for me to be able to get there. It's pretty tough to learn another language. Absolutely it is. And, you know, my hat's off to you guys on that front. I think the the later we tackle learning a language, you know, that part of our brain that's alive and ready to receive, uh, you know, when we're before we go to kindergarten or something uh, where we get these language skills. I've been trying to learn Spanish and I have been learning, but my pace is, you know, my time to results, I should say, is not is not, uh, not too not too awesome. But I'm, I keep going. So I'm going to. I'll get there. And I know you will, too, Mike, as you keep going. Now keep me in your prayers for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I sure will. I sure will. Stacy's um, doing really well to the point that uh, I've spoken in a couple of churches here and she's been my translator. So she's doing really well. That is awesome. You guys are quite a duo, dynamic duo. I'm impressed and, and thankful for your efforts and for your heart to go and for your... Uh, Solid but 
tenuous start. I mean, when we're starting anything, it, it you know, there's there's things that we don't even see, I think, that are going to challenge our viability that are completely concealed from our view <laughs> in, adv- in advance, you know. So I know the Lord is with you guys and, and he's helping you to overcome it and continue to kind of get a feel for what makes sense in terms of what to expect and then to apply your efforts to that. So that's, I'm, that's I'm totally things, standing with you. That's one of the things that I think people need to understand is that when you come to a place like this or anywhere, when you first get there, there's going to be a time of just figuring out which way is up. You know, it's like us figuring out how to furnish the house and where do you find these things and how do you know how much stuff costs and, and those kind of things. And, and then you have to figure out, okay, you got to make network connections and start to meet everybody and figure out where, who is who and how does the whole thing fit together. And you have to figure out what you're going to do about the language part of it and then see what the possibilities are. You have to figure out what the regulations are in the new environment you're going to live in. So there's quite a period of orientation to go through before you can really start to become, you know, real efficient. Yes. Well, I I can see that. And I, you know, I do a lot of short-term work, which kind of skips what you're talking about because we go in, we rely on translation and, and we're we're not on the ground a long time, and you know, so we get the advantage of being temporary. But I want to commend you guys because I think I'm noticing something or thinking about something here that you guys have have led. Uh, you know, you led. You've had a lot of experiences in your life. You've you've done professional training. You guys have been in the working world. You completed an entire time of service. And then you retired from, you know, a fairly major multinational corporation. So you had a ton of experiences and things that helping you sharpen your skills and and know about your own contribution and how to work with others and all that. And I think a lot of times what we send to the mission field are, you know, I'm talking about in general as uh, the body of Christ from the U.S. We're sending people who don't have the benefit of your experience, largely we're sending 20 somethings or early thirties or something like that. And these people don't have the, you know, the ballast in themselves that's provided a lot of times by living and having a bunch of experiences. Do you think that's to your advantage? Have you guys noticed that? I'm going I'm to let Stacy address that because she actually went to the mission field in DR Congo for five and a half years when she was 20 years old. So, Yeah, and I think there are definitely advantages and disadvantages at both stages in life. You know, as a youth, you're full of energy. Everything is wonderful. You don't really pay attention to cultural faux pas and things like that. And maybe even, like you said, under the surface alliances that people have that you're not aware of, that you discover, you know, things like that. A 20-year-old, you're just excited to be in Africa. You're excited to be teaching. You're learning and growing. And you really don't have, um, like you said, the people skills and the different experiences to navigate some of those things. So in some ways, you can be oblivious to them. And in other ways, you can try to tackle them with a whole lot of misinformation and not very much cultural sensitivity. So you can cause bigger issues because of that. But the same thing happens, you know, at this stage of life. I think that there's a lot more respect 
In Africa, elders are respected. So Mike with his silverish gray hair is very respected because of his status as an elder and then also his success in business, which makes people listen to you more. So when he teaches, you know, especially in the board meetings, the board members are very interested in what he has to say because he does have that legacy of expertise and experience behind him. And then also the same right. for myself. If, if I'm a single lady that's young, I may not be as respected as a lady who is older and more experienced. So there's definite advantages to coming with more experience. Also, you are not so much in a hurry, you know, also to get things done. Yes, we are driven people because we've worked in corporation and we like to be productive, but we also have experienced, you know, life enough to know that not everybody goes at that pace and you're not going to be successful if you try to push people into doing things the way you've been trained to do them. So you do have mm. that advantage of just taking a step back and saying, you know, it's okay that we're not getting as much done in this culture, but really in this culture, if you measure it, we are getting a lot done, you know, so it's just mm. the measurements that you're using. And then also just the way that people are receiving you. So I would say that in this particular culture, if you are an elder and experienced in business and ministry, you're going to be received a whole lot more and there will be more doors opened for you. So already we've gotten invitations by other ministries to come and join them, you know, to do chapel services and devotionals and input mm. on different things that they're doing and sharing knowledge with them as well. So that's also another advantage that you can network, I think, a little bit more easy, easier because of your experiences that open more doors. Yes, absolutely. And I think uh, I'd just like to emphasize a few things that you touched on. Thanks for that, Stacy. You know, one of the things I think in East African culture that I've noticed, I've, I've only been there, you know, I think four or five times, is respect in the culture. How big of a deal that is. In the States, it, you know, it's a greetings culture there. You've got greeting people and taking time to greet people in a meaningful way is a sign of respect and is an indication of how important that culture, how the culture values respect. To me, that's huge. And like you say, with the the silver hair, which I've got a nice start up front on one side, <laughs> like Mike does, I think I've got a pretty good start here on my front right side of my hair that I'm, uh, at least it's holding on. I'm happy for that. But, uh, the life expectancy in rural East Africa is uh, not awesome. It's not like uh, so many other countries of the world. And part of the respect of being an older person is that everybody doesn't make it to be an older person. So I can see how that would give more gravity to your words, more gravity to you, who you are as a person, especially in that culture, as it should. Am I seeing that right? Yes, that's exactly right. Respect for the elders is a huge thing. And it really doesn't even matter about people's accomplishments. 
so much like in, in their work ethic or their work life, as much as, like you said, they have just arrived at an older age. So they obviously have wisdom and they have things to share that the younger mm. generation does not have to share. And the interesting mm. thing too, when we were going to language school, they did add in some cultural training. And that was one of the big things that they keyed in on that even though the youth are changing in some ways, they're becoming more modernized. They still look to their elders for basics on values and even things like dress, what is proper, uh, marriage, mm. you know, funerals, and how to respect one another in those things. So there's a lot being passed down by the elders to the younger generations that the younger generations still value quite a lot, although they want to be able to do things like, you know, wear pants or, you know, mm -hmm. um, have cell phones, go to movies, the modern Western world is moving in, it's causing tension, but there's still a lot of respect that the young people have for their elders. If an older person gets on, you know, one of the local van transportation buses, the younger person will get up and they will give that seat over to the elder person just because of that respect in the culture, where we may mm. not see that in some other cultures. Yeah, and I think that's something that the culture there has to give to us. You know, every culture has got a contribution and a need. <laughs> we can, our culture here in the West could benefit from some of that contribution in terms of honoring your elders. So that to me is something that I hope isn't a casualty of the Western influx of, uh, you know, the developed world or whatever. <laughs> You can run into interesting customs and things like that. We ran into one someone told us about the other day, and it's a fundraising technique where they invite a bunch of people to go and uh, contribute towards a particular cause or something or a church or whatever. Uh, what's the name they call that, Stacy? Harambe. Harambe. And so this person we were talking to got invited to be the guest of honor. And when they got there, they figured out that they're the one who are supposed to be to give the first offering and to give the most. So if you get invited to be the guest of honor, you better pay attention. <laughs> be ready. The guest of honor buys the food for the whole thing or whatever. You know, I totally get what you're saying. Yeah. That's some of those things we don't see, those reefs below the surface of the water. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> wow. Well, guys, as we're wrapping up here, I want to say thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you again for taking your time and for giving us an update. We're going to keep you guys in mind and in prayer. And with that, how how can we be praying for you guys? What can we do to support you in prayer? And if someone wants to know more or get on your mailing list or whatever forms of communication you guys are using, those are the couple things that I'd like to wrap up with if we can. Yeah, absolutely. We can always use prayer because uh, we're really believing for unity between the board members and the leadership of Foursquare Tanzania so that we can begin to make good progress. We're also still believing for favor on bringing in that printing system so that can be a prayer request. We're looking for opportunities to be able to bring in children's ministry trainers and do some of that training and establish a children's ministry ourselves. So just prayer for wisdom and direction and the right timing and the right people to be involved in those projects. And then Mike has a few things. 
Yeah, obviously, uh, language acquisition is really important because that pays that, that that really plays an important role on being able to mm. bond with people and communicate effectively. So that that's one yes. area that I really you know would like to have prayer on. <laughs> I totally, totally get it, and I think in my experiences, when people feel like you're taking the time and making the effort to learn their language, that it's a certain way of valuing them and their culture, you know. That's exactly right. That's that's exactly right. Important. It's so important. And we certainly will pray for you that your progress will be evident to all. (laughs) I have an advantage that Stacy speaks Swahili is I'm trying to get to the point to where we will just start speaking Swahili at home the whole time. You know, I think if we right. get to where we start speaking more Swahili than we're speaking English, I, I will feel like I have arrived. So, Wow. Awesome. Well, you know, for me, at least when it comes to Spanish, I, I can understand a lot more than I can speak. So you guys might take turns. She speaks to you in Swahili. You reply in English. And, and that might be an on-ramp to the 100% Swahili. I don't know. But, uh, you know. I can imagine and I can't imagine. So being a couple <laughs> and having that that dynamic, I just really would like to say something I don't have the words for in Swahili or whatever. You know, I can see how that would be interesting when it comes to communication. That's for sure. Well, blessings to you guys. I've got these uh, prayer requests down. We'll mention them. Well, now, if somebody you, wants to get it. Let me tell you ahead. how to get in touch with us also. And probably Please. the easiest yes. way is we have an email address set up, which is collinsafrica at comcast.net. Okay. Collins, C-O-L-L-I-N-S, Africa, A-F-R-I-C-A, at comcast.net. That's it. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we'll put that in the in the show notes for folks to be able to get in touch with you. We'll be praying for you, and we'll look to stay updated with you guys. In all likelihood, I'll be in East Africa, hopefully in the next 18 months or so. Awesome. And I'll keep you guys posted on that. I would love to stop by and see you. And like you say, if I, if I don't get Killy on my list pretty soon, it probably is, it probably is not going to happen. I can fully appreciate that. So. Thanks again, Mike and Stacy, for being here for the update. And we appreciate very much what you're doing in the nations in the name of Jesus Christ and for his kingdom. We pray the grace of God will be yours and will strengthen, comfort, and establish you in your efforts. We just really appreciate your friendship and look forward to keeping up to date with you. And we'll send some folks your way by email. And maybe uh, maybe some of those children's ministry workers will develop from that. That would be my hope. Amen. Yeah. And thank you for your passion and everything that you're doing for missions. Uh, it's more than overdue that we put a focus on the people that are still not being reached. And so thank you for everything Absolutely. that you do to highlight missionaries and mission projects and the work of God around the world. Well, thank you so much for saying so, and I really appreciate it. We'll stay with it as God's good grace gives us opportunity, and we appreciate it. As for me, I am Scott McClelland with your FX Missions from the Forefront Podcast. If you'd like to contact me or us, please do so at fxmissions.com. 
This podcast made possible through the partnership of Engaging Mission Show, bringing missions home, and encouraging you to hear a message, make connections, and take action. Find out more at engagingmissions.com. Thanks for joining us for the FX Missions podcast from the forefront. If you'd like to find out more about FX Missions, please do so at our blog, fxmissions.com. Quite a bit of content out there. We hope you enjoy it. Also, if you'd like to rate us on iTunes or whatever podcast service you use, we would really appreciate it. And find out more about today's guest at our Facebook page. Just search for From the Forefront on Facebook. If you know of someone who should be featured on From the Forefront because of their Forefront missions, experience, or exploits, please reach out to us at info at fxmissions.com. Thanks again for joining us. And until next time, I'm Scott McClelland, and you have a good one.